Good morning, everyone. I feel like after a worship set like that, we could just all go home. I hope uh, what I have to say this morning compliments that. I'm sure it will, um, because God is, you know what, I can take this off, can't I? Oh, that's better. That's better. Sorry. Kind of get used to having it on. Um, I don't know if those of you have, who are new here or have never seen me speak, I usually bring props. So that wasn't just left there by the work crew. That's, this, this is actually my set of tools. Um, uh, one of my abilities or one of my job titles is electrician. So it's my electrician's tool bag. <coughs> And uh, I wasn't really very, a very big part of this. And I just want to congratulate the guys who did all of this stuff. Man, this is amazing. Let's, let's give them a hand. Thank you. I know, I don't know everybody, so I'm not going to say anybody, but you know who you are. So, um, yeah. It took me a few minutes to figure out what to wear this morning. I hope this is appropriate. I've been wearing pajamas to church for the last several weeks or months or however long it's been. You lose track of time. I didn't think pajamas would be appropriate. They are very comfortable, but they don't seem to be appropriate. Um, so let's just let's pray, and then we'll get into the message. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for this. I thank you for this opportunity to be up here. And Lord, we thank you for every person here this morning and those who are watching online. Um, just thank you, God, for each one. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us today, that, you, that your word would sink deep into our hearts and um, make connections and changes, Lord. We, we give you permission to come in today and, and fix stuff in us because we're all bent and broken and bruised. And so, Lord, we just ask you to do that in, in Jesus' name. Uh, the message today is entitled, The Way Forward and the Way Back. And we'll be looking mostly at Luke 10 and Luke 15. Um, the subtitle is, God Makes Tools, Not Trophies. I, I was thinking when, when Blake asked me to, hi Blake and Christina, and Leo, we're very happy to, to welcome you, Leo, into the family. Um, when Blake asked me uh, to speak, um, the first thing, I don't know why, but I just thought, well, there's probably going to be two groups of people there. There's going to be the people who are saved and serving God, and then there's going to be another group that, is, that are like the prodigals who are somewhere in that, in that journey of the prodigal son where they're either walking away or they're coming back. And so uh, we're gonna talk to those two groups this morning. Um, I grew up as a, as a Lutheran. Um, my parents took me to church almost every Sunday. And <clears throat> even though I went to church every Sunday, somehow I missed the, I missed the gospel message. How, how can that be? I did. So what I thought, 
they're kind of two, two separate things here. First of all, I wanted to be a pastor, and second of all, I thought that being a pastor was a way to get to God, and uh, God would, you would instantly gain favor, and he'd be, you know, like, yay, Pete's here, all right. Um, so that's what I was working towards, and uh, right after Mary and I got married, <clears throat> I was accepted into uh, Concordia College down in Portland to start studying to be a pastor. And that was, like I said, right after we got married. Well, we didn't realize that on our honeymoon, we were joined by a little visitor, and his name is Aaron Leffelbein. So uh, I was trying to go to school, and Mary was working, and um, it just wasn't working out. And I realized that I was not going to be able to continue going to school. So I quit school, and we took over the running the restaurant. My parents had a little place out in Lakeview called um, Burger Bar Cafe. Um, I, was, I was really disappointed for more than, more than one reason. You know, I, it was like, okay, you know, I gave up my dream and now I'm back here at the cafe and I'm working. And I went, went to, the, to the cafe uh, one Sunday morning when we were closed just to grab some breakfast stuff and take it back to the house and the house was behind the cafe. And while I was there, I was just, in my mind, I was going, well, God, what do I do now? How do I get close to you? How can I, how can I, how can I be your guy? How can, we, how can I earn your love? And <clears throat> God just spoke to me, and I'm not sure if it was audible or if it was actually just the radio playing, because we used to play uh, KMBI on the radio there at the restaurant, but... I just heard this verse, for it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that was my salvation moment, I suddenly understood, it's by grace, I don't have to, I don't have to do anything to earn God's love, except to accept Jesus' gift of salvation. And that just changed my life. But from that point on, I started looking at that uh, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The, go- the works don't save us, but God has, cre- has saved us to do good works. He's created us, and, and those works are already waiting there for us to do. And so I started looking for things, for ways to... to um, be used by God. Um, it's like I was saying, okay, I'm saved, now what? Now what do I do? What, what's, what's up for me? <clears throat> and like I said earlier, Jesus makes tools, not trophies. And so I was looking for my, my tool, what kind of tool I was. Um, there was a guy in Damascus back around 40 AD, who, who was given the job by God. And his story is found in Acts 9, uh, 1 through 19. So we'll, tr- we'll turn there and we'll read that story. His name was Ananias. And God used him in an incredible way, but he's, it's like a lot of the focus of Christian life and Christian teaching comes to a head right in Ananias' living room. And 
he's never mentioned again in the Bible. It's probably, he was probably one of the 72 of Jesus' followers when, they, when he sent out the 72. He said, go and, and preach the kingdom of God to these. Ananias was probably one of those guys. He was probably a pastor in Damascus, but he was given a very scary job to do. We'll go ahead and read that. First, I'm gonna take a little sip of water. You guys make me nervous. I love you, but you make me nervous. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So he, let, he was led... So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. What I, I envision him sitting down on his uh, first century version of a couch, watching the first century version of Jeopardy, and, or whatever they did back then. And God interrupted his life. He said, Ananias, <clears throat> yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas. Okay, I'm writing this down, Judas, house of Judas. Where's that at? On Straight Street. Okay, Straight Street. And asked for a man from Tarsus, a guy from Tarsus, asking about that guy. His name is Saul. What? because evidently the, the Christians had already been warned that Saul was on his way. <clears throat> In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. That's what the Lord said to him. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done in your holy, to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Christianity changed that day. Most of the Bible that I'm holding here, most of the New Testament was written by this guy that Ananias went and was obedient to God and, and, and risked his life, but he went and ministered to Saul. Okay, 
There's another guy I want to talk about, more, more contemporary. His name is Edward Kimball. Anybody know who Edward Kimball is? Ever, anyone ever heard of him? Um, Edward Kimball led a guy named Dwight to faith in Jesus. This is what he said about Dwight. I can truly say, and in saying it, I magnify the infinite grace of God as bestowed upon him that I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than was his when he first came to my Sunday school class. And I think the committee of Mount Vernon Church seldom met an applicant for membership more unlikely ever to become a Christian of clear and decided views of gospel truth, still less to fill in any extended sphere of public usefulness. He goes on to say, at first meeting, I ever saw him at was in an old shanty that, I made, that had been abandoned by a saloon keeper. Here's who we find, you find his last name. Mr. Moody had got the place to hold the meetings at night. I went there a little late, and the first thing I saw was a man standing up with a few tallow candles around him, holding a Negro boy and trying to read him the story of the prodigal son. And a great many words he could not read out and had to skip. I thought, if the Lord can ever use such an instrument as that for his honor and glory, it will astonish me. As a result of his tireless labor, within a year, the average attendance at his school was 650. While 60 volunteers from various churches served as teachers, it became so well known that the just-elected President Lincoln visited and spoke at a Sunday school meeting on November 25, 1860. Edward Kimball shared the good news with a very unlikely man, Dwight Lyman Moody, Dwight L. Moody, D.L. Moody. God used D.L. Moody in amazing ways all over the world. He went on to preach to more people at one time than anyone else during that period of time he was alive. Um, my next question, uh, sorry there's not a better segue, it's like, <laughs> Who are we supposed to reach out to? Who are we supposed to reach out to? I mean, we've all been given a mission. We've all been given that same call. We've all been, when asked, we've all been given a, a set of good works to do. And those good works are gonna be talking to people and sharing the gospel. Who are we supposed to go to? Um, Jesus talks to uh, a teacher in, in Luke 10. Let's go ahead and turn there, Luke 10 in uh, verse 25 through 37. While I was studying, and I noticed there are two parallel passages to this. In both of the parallel passages, they, the teachers ask Jesus a question and Jesus answers them. And in this version, Jesus asks the teacher and the teacher answers. And so what I think just speculating, doesn't, doesn't really change the story, but I'm speculating that the teachers had been listening to what Jesus had been teaching, and when, when Jesus asked them, they already knew the answer because they heard Jesus say it already. So that's just my speculation on that. No extra charge. <laughs> okay, we're gonna read that. Luke 10, 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. 
Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The priest happened along to be going down the same, sorry, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two pieces of money, I couldn't figure out how to say that word, so I'm just going to say two pieces of money, and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I'm going to do one more speculation here, and actually it's, it's an idea that I got from one of the, um, one of the commentaries I read. <clears throat> and what he was thinking that when Jesus told this story, it was a true story. It wasn't just something he made up to, you know, a moral tale. It was a true story. And the true story had actually happened to the teacher that raised the question. And he was saying to him, remember that time when you got beat up and left in the ditch and a priest walked by you and a Levite walked by you. Remember that? Remember the guy who came and took care of you? Be that guy. Be that guy. That, that has a lot more impact, I think, than if it was just a story that Jesus was making up out of his head. But that's just, again, a speculation. So the, the answer to the question who are we supposed to reach out to and answer to my question and is the same answer as who is my neighbor? And the answer is anyone who isn't me. Who are we supposed to reach out to? Who's my neighbor? Is it you? No. Then it's your neighbor. Okay, so that's who you reach out to. Um, Mary and I have you know, been serving, serving the Lord for... Well, it was, you know, it was early in our marriage. Within the first year, we got married. Hi, Joy. Just saw you back there. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> yeah, we got married. So we've been serving the Lord for a long time. We've been, we've been, and we've been, we've done a lot of different things. Serving the Lord, we're always trying to find that new thing, that, that fresh way to be used by God. And um, that kind of made me think of some of my tools here. You thought I'd forgotten them. This is called a multi-tool. Um, they were really popular back in the 90s, early 90s. 
uh, not early 90s, late 90s, they were on every show, every home improvement show, the guy would whip out his handy multi-tool and they would do, you know, all kinds of things with it. This one has, um, it has a saw and it has a screwdriver, uh, both kinds of screwdrivers, straight in Phillips and it's got a knife blade and a file and um, my brother got me this one because it has, um, because being an electrician it has a wire stripper and has pliers. And I was thinking, you know, when God saves us and makes us a tool, not a trophy, we're a tool, not a trophy, he makes us a multi-tool. We don't have one specific job. Most of these tools in here have well, one or two jobs. This guy, I like this one too because it's, it's got all kinds of different screwdrivers in here, but it's still just a screwdriver. What else can, it can do a nut driving job? But Anyway, we're multi-tools. We don't just have one job. It's not just one thing that we're gonna be doing. Um, I think that's been something of an issue with, with me anyway. When, when Mary uh, recorded her first album, I thought, okay, this is what we do now. You know, we're, we're musicians. I'm the roadie, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna travel and we're gonna uh, present Mary's music. Well, that lasted a little while, but then <clears throat> it, the, the focus of the ministry changed, and then we got to go to Italy and, and help with a worship conference. And, and I thought, okay, this is what we do. I carry Mary's suitcases while she goes and teaches <laughs> at, at worship conferences. And, and then that changed, and we went to a couple other things. And um, when we got back from Italy, um, I, I had some... I had, I had written some things while we were in Italy, and, and I shared them on Facebook. And Mary encouraged me, said, you know, you really should, you really should post your stuff. I have, I have a few notebooks filled with ideas and things I've written. And she said, people should see that. So I started posting online, and then I set up a, a blog, and, and it's, it's called Peter's Posts, and I've been posting online. Um, I... A lot of what pushed me into that was I was I had gotten into contact with some friends from from middle school that I anyway old high school some middle school friends and uh, I started to talk with them about the Lord and they had no idea what I was talking about they they didn't understand the language I was using they didn't know the references they you know they had no clue and I thought wow there's people out there who don't even know what the Bible says about Jesus. I, it, was, it blew me away that people my age had, had didn't know about Jesus. And so I thought, yeah, I guess I should start sharing. Maybe, maybe just have some stuff out there about who Jesus is. What does the Bible say about him? And so I started sharing that, and uh, um, I'm still doing it. It's, I wish I could say I'm, I'm now a published author or something like that, because it, that kind of thing, I guess we, I expect that it's not successful unless I'm, you know, have some kind of pedigree or something. Anyway, that's one way God's using me. Another way is that um, I have a heart for uh, babies and mommies, and it breaks my heart that we have those, those laws in this land that allow people to just get rid of babies. And uh, 
So I have a heart for the babies, and I have a heart for the mommies who have given up babies, because sometimes that, that follows them. And so we have this organization in town called Crossroads Pregnancy Center, where they help mommies and they help babies. And um, I wanted to, to, to help them somehow, and for some reason, an old 60-year-old guy st <laughs> standing in the lobby isn't really going to help them because, you know, what do I, what can I do? So, um, I can't do the things that the ladies do there for the, for the mommies and the babies. But I can, what I can do is give them money. But the problem is I didn't have any extra money. So, I, I have this hobby. I, I do woodworking. And I figured out that if I built stuff, and then sold the stuff, I could give that extra money to Crossroads Pregnancy Center, and so that's what I've been doing, and that's one area where I've been multi-tool, multi-tool, multi-purpose, kind of serving the Lord. Um, another one of those <laughs> segues here. Uh, there, was a, there was a pool party down in Louisiana, New Orleans, in 19, uh, September 1985, they had an a entire summer with no incidences in the pool. No, no drownings, no, no problems. So they had, a pool to, they had a pool party to celebrate. There was 200 people in attendance. Half of those people were lifeguards. At the end of the party, the, the, the lifeguards in attendance were moving the people out of the pool, and they found at the end of the pool a man by the name of Jerome Moody, age 31, had drowned. This man had drowned in a pool surrounded by 100 lifeguards. I'd like to say we are the lifeguards. There are people drowning in a sea of sin, a uh, sea of loneliness, all those, things, all those things that we have stepped out away from and stepped out of. Their people are dying, and we are the lifeguards, and so we have that we have that job to do. But what what do we do if we've wandered away? I'm going to talk a little bit about now the the prodigal. Um, what do, what do we do if we've wandered away? Uh, I, as I was studying this, I found a really cool uh, teaching tool in the back of my Thompson Chain reference. And they, they, have the, they have it broken down into 14 steps. But, and we'll get to that after I read the story. We'll go to Luke 15. And the story's found and starts in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young, younger son together, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, he was, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will, be, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Of course, there's more to the story with the older son, but I didn't really want to go into that today. I wanted to just stop there. There are seven steps down for any prodigal, and I've been a prodigal. I've left, I've walked away from God, and this is, this is how it happens. And like in verse 12, the son decides to do it his own way. He wants to go his own way. Self-will and selfishness in, in verse 13. Basically said to his dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so I could have my own way, my, my own way and my own will in my life. And, and there's a separation that happens in verse 13. He, he went, traveled to a far country. And that can happen to us when we get separated from our church family, from, from, from fellowship, forsaking the fellowship forsaking friendship, forsaking reading the word, when we get separated from God, that's part of the process down. Sensuality, um, sometimes we will, in every journey away from God, there's this, the calling of sensuality in some place there. And sensuality always tells us, if you could just have a little bit more of me, I will satisfy you. But it lies no matter how much of we feed our flesh, there's still more hunger. Spiritual destruction in verse 14, flesh will fail us. Both people, our own flesh, and friends around us will fail us, those who aren't born again. Um, in verse 15, self-abasement, he ended up doing the lowest job possible a Jewish boy feeding pigs. And he didn't see a problem with that because that's all he felt he was worth doing. At one time I wanted to uh, write a book. It was gonna be a kind of a cross between self-help and, and home improvement. I was gonna call it How to Build Yourself a Basement. But I don't, I don't know if that'll actually happen or not. The last step in the, step in the process down is starvation. And I'm wondering, uh, how many here have ever fed pigs? Those things are disgusting, especially at mealtime. And I'm wondering if at this son, if as he was feeding the pigs, recognized his own behavior in the way the pigs ate, because the pigs will eat anything 
and they'll even eat each other if they get in the way. They are nasty animals. I, yeah, I had experience with them. <laughs> I was 11, feeding pigs, little guy. Anyway, that's, that's not, that's another one of those freebies. It's not in the notes. Um, the seven steps back are realization. The son, son realized, and we, hopefully at some point, if we're walking away from God, we realize Life has got to be better than this. When we reach bottom and we look up and we remember God and we say, how did I get here? This is, this is God, there's gotta be something more than this. And verse 18, the resolution, he says, I will. He resolved to make a change and he does. A decision to make a change and that's, this is where a lot of people will their resolve melts somewhere. And I'm asking God today, if, you, if anyone here is in that situation and, you, and you're at the point where you resolved, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to God. I pray today that you will have that resolve and follow through. Repentance is the next step. Thinking repentance, your, your heart, it has to come from your heart. It has to come from your heart, repentance. It can't be something that's just uh, a head thing or, or fake. It can't be fake. You have to think it and then act it and then speak it. Then there's the movement, return, the return of the son. He actually left behind that. <laughs> I mean, doesn't seem like it would be that hard to do, leave behind a job feeding pigs <laughs> to go back to your father. There's a reconciliation. Yet, while he was a long way off, God is watching and waiting. Then, reclothing. Jesus, um, the father brought him the robe, the ring, and the sandals. The robe is a picture of Jesus. Jesus is our covering. Jesus, he, when he came back, he was probably filthy, and, and they brought out the best robe for him. He said, here it is, here's the best robe. That's what Jesus does for us. He covers us with that robe of righteousness and all of our sins are covered. He gave him a ring for his finger. Um, the ring was a signet. The way I understand it is it was what you seal the wax seal with on the official papers. That gave him authority. That gave him part. Of, he was actually then returned as a son. That gave him sonship, brought back into the family. And that's what God does for us. He, he returns our sonship. We're sons of the Most High God when we're saved and born again and come back to him. And the, the last thing I want that mentioned about the reclothing by the Father is the shoes for his feet. Um, I'll get back to that. The very last thing that they do is rejoice. And, and I would like to say that we, as a church family, need to be need to be prepared to rejoice with those as, as we start moving out into the community and reaching people, reaching the lost, we need to be prepared to celebrate <laughs> because there's something that's gonna be changing. Um, Mary was talking about uh, the old people, how they thought uh, during, during worship, the old people, how they thought they had no more 
nothing to give. And as I look out here, I'm seeing a lot of people that have hair like this and bald spots, and that happens with age. And, some, and I don't want us to feel like we have no more, no, more, no more call on God to work in this world. I mean, our last days could be our best days. And so I think that's what God is calling us to. In Isaiah 52.7, it says, how blessed are the feet of him who brings good news. And that's what we, we are called to do. As we come back to God, if we've, if we've got, walked away, come back, or if we are in the family already, we have the shoes that are, are, we've been given the authority and the job to go out and reach the world. Um, there are about 8,000 people in Ephrata. And I read recently, statistically speaking, that 31% of the world has already been, has already acknowledged Jesus as their savior. So that means 69% haven't. And, and I don't know, if you do the math, it's about 5,700 people, if you do it statistically, in Ephrata that don't know Jesus yet. Um, Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We may play what we think is a small role in sharing the gospel with someone, someone like Ananias. He had no idea what, what impact that would have on, on the world. But because of what his obedience and, and sharing with, with Saul, the world has changed. I was changed because I was saved when I understood what Paul had written to the Ephesians in, in chapter two, verse eight through 10. I was saved because Paul was, was saved because Ananias was obedient and God had a plan. So I just want to encourage us that it may not be just leading one person to the Lord. We might be leading the person, the next great evangelist that's gonna reach, or we may not. It may just be somebody who needs Jesus, and, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be, we don't have to be leading uh, the next D.L. Moody to, to the Lord, but we, we do need to uh, be faithful and obedient. Okay, um, I'm gonna skip ahead. Um, there's, a, there's a third group of people that could be here today those who don't know Jesus yet. But hopefully, while I've been talking, while Mary led worship, it's like you've been asleep in the dark and cold and someone's just thrown open a window. And all of a sudden there's light getting into places in your heart and in your soul that there's never been light there before. And you want this Jesus in your life, maybe online. So I would like to close with a prayer. And if today, you, um, you just realize that you need Jesus. Pray this prayer with me. And you will be welcomed into the family of God. Your life will change. There will be celebration in heaven and there'll be celebration here because we are celebrating people who come to the Lord. Also, as we pray this prayer, um, I'm gonna remind us all that 
we're not doing this alone. We've been given the Holy Spirit to empower us. And I'm, I'm gonna ask God to give us the Holy Spirit today to empower us and to, and to help us in this task that he's given us, these jobs that we have to do. Remember that we're tools, not trophies, we're tools. And we have a job to do. So I'm gonna pray. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. I'd like you guys to pray with me. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I accept that. I receive that gift. I believe you rose from the dead and are living now in heaven, preparing a place for us. Father, you sent the Holy Spirit, your spirit, to empower us. Father, please fill me with your Holy Spirit today. Father, then use us. Use me to reach a sick and dying world. with the good news of Jesus.